0: Out as we sing uh, and I think that's because singing is kind of a vehicle for joy. It's, a, it's a, a, a way we can express our joy, even for people like me who can't sing in tune. I love it. I, I can kind of bop a little and move a little bit, sometimes I get in time, but singing enables me to kind of express a joy that just saying words doesn't. But I do think singing together as Christians, is something that's very unique. It's, it's uh, uniquely Christian. Uh, and now, it's obvious, isn't it, that Christians sing when we gather because we've got lots to be joyous and thankful for. Uh, we've got... Christians have lots to praise God for, lots to sing about. But one of the, I was reflecting on when of when the other times we sing as a community, you know, you get your kind of your football games, you get in the shower by yourself. Sometimes at school, you've got the anthem, which is pretty, you know, you got other school songs. But we don't kind of sing with joy like we do week in, week out here at church. And people who don't go to church, uh, people who, you know, don't come in there, they come in and often they will say, wow, the singing is, it's like something else. It's so joy. I just love the sing. I've had numerous people say that time and time again. But Christmas time, the community, we all kind of gather around and we sing, don't we? The community kind of gathers around singing carols together. You know, we get our Christmas cheer on. Uh, we get into the Christmas spirit. You know, you get the giving, the receiving of gifts, the light, the food, the community carol event. Uh, and it kind of helps us as a community perhaps gives us a little joy for the end of a long, hard year, but then once Christmas goes, it's over and back to the reality of life, back to all the pressures and the things that just weigh so heavily on us. See, Christmas for many in our community, uh, it makes no difference, really, for the rest of the year. It has no significance to the day-in, day-out living. It just comes year by year, we go through the rhythms and it just does no impact or effect. And can I say, I think that is a, such a tragedy for everyone in our community to be seeing carols together, but actually to miss the point of the carols to actually miss the point of why Christmas does bring such deep, profound joy. You know, you can have Christmas come year in, year out, you can sing carols, but you can be so close, yet miss it. It's like getting caught up in the frills, the shopping, the gifts, the wrappings, and miss the heart that is in Christmas. It's kind of like a fish, a fisherman, I know there's a few here, that go fishing and then come back and they talk about the weather. It's like, you've missed the point. I want to know if you caught fish, you know? It's like the bride that gets so caught up in the dress but misses the point of the husband, the man whom she will marry. It's like the doctor that just loves being a doctor for the prestige and the power but misses the point that actually being a doctor is such a great service to our community. You can serve others. It's like the dad has kids and he uses his kids for his own purpose rather than they're serving them. So you can be so close, you can have all these things, but you can actually miss the heart and the point of what's behind it. And I think that's a great tragedy when that happens at Christmas. And for many people it happens. They go through the Christmas event and it has no impact, just washes over them. They get involved in the singing, but there's no joy that lasts for them. Well, this morning, I just want to take us through Psalm 98 and have a look at why Christians sing all year round with such joy and gladness. Now, Psalm 98 that we had read out was written hundreds of years before Jesus was born. So, hundreds of years before the very first Christmas. Uh, But it does point, I think, and take it to the heart of why Christians can sing so joyfully. Now, you have an outline which I like, which Josh put down. I think he's done well. Um, You know, we've got three points uh, and why Christians sing. Uh, I love it. I left it down there, I think. all right so it's something about celebrate uh saviour king and judge i hope yeah i saw that i thought there you go josh has done really well um i'm sorry you've got a good outline but you've only got my uh reflections on it but let's have a look at the first reason why christians sing so well and that's in verses one to three because god is our saviour have a look there in verse one read along with me oh sing to the lord a new song for he has done marvelous things His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. You see why he's commanded to sing a new song? Because God has done marvellous things. What are those marvellous things you can see in the repetition? It's because he has brought salvation. God has won salvation. Now, salvation is a funny thing, isn't it? Because people that sing and delight in being saved are only those who recognise they need saving, isn't it? And for the original hearers, we don't know exact context, but where it is placed in the Psalter, it's likely that these Israel, these people here, the people of God, have been in exile and they've been saved out of exile. Uh, and they've been under captive, under rule, they've lost homes, families, everything, and been exported off into another place in Babylon. But here they're called to sing because they've been rescued from King Nebuchadnezzar and they write, wrote this new song. So they have reason to sing because God has saved them. Now, there are other times that the nation Israel sung, aren't there? There's there's kind of key moments in their history. Uh, Now, I'm going to put it to the floor. I love doing this, so just get ready. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to say, when did the nation Israel sing? What moments? Now, I see a scratch of a head, but I won't say that's a hand. Yeah, have a think about it. When when did they when did they sing as a nation? You can, you can just put your hand up or call it out or or every little things. I'm I'm going for it. Yes. Yeah yeah. You got King David bringing the ark back into where God's people were. You know, there's singing, there's a little bit of dancing, a little bit of flusiness going on too. A bit of a breeze. It's a great moment for the nation to have the ark. Yeah the crossing of the Red Sea. So that's, and the nation was in slavery in Egypt and God freed them through the Red Sea and Moses in Exodus 15 has his great song. It's a song of salvation. Yeah. Other ones? Oh, there we go. I think I think botany did better than you guys. <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't want to kind of say how proud I am, but <laughs> uh, there was other moments, other moments of um, salvation. One um, just before they head into the Promised Land, the end of Deuteronomy thirty-two. Moses and, and again another song, another song of salvation. Uh, there's in Judges, you know. Deborah and Barak are a song of salvation after they defeat, Israel defeat the Canaanites. King David, he sings the the song with the ark, but he also sings uh, when the Lord delivered and rescued him from the hands of his enemies. Now here's a question. When couldn't Israel sing? When, When couldn't they sing? There's a song about it. By the rivers of Babylon, yeah, Psalm 137. I mean, we get the irony, don't we? The whole words of Psalm 137 is, "I can't sing, my, my tongue is stuck to the roof of my mouth. Why can I sing? Because I'm in, I'm like I'm under oppression. I'm sl- I'm in, um, defeated by my enemies, but then Boney M. They write a song to make us sing about it. Uh, the irony. But they couldn't because they weren't saved. See, singing is a unique thing. For saved people. It's a, it's a vehicle of joy that the rescued belt out in gladness. And over and over again, we see that in Israel's history of God's saving work and then bursting forth into song with joy. Now, it's not just in the Old Testament where we see this. We, we see it in Revelation too. There's two places where there are new songs sung, both caught up with a. Uh, God's salvation know I, I don't want to go I want to go to Jesus' birth what happens as Jesus comes into the world for the first time well we didn't read it but you get the song of Mary don't you what she bursts what's her first words on her lips she says in uh, Luke chapter 1 verse 47 my soul magnifies the Lord my spirit rejoices in God my saviour well, he has done great things. She, she bursts forth into song. We get it by angels after Jesus' birth, don't we? You know, the, the Jesus' birth, he gets declared Jesus as great, good news for all peoples, uh, that this, this day in the city of David, a saviour is born, who is Christ the Lord. And what do the, the angels sing? Glory to God in the highest. There's this moment at Jesus' birth. But then we get it also in our reading of Simeon, don't we? What he said. What did he say when he looks at 30-week, 40-week-old Jesus? Verse 30, he says, My eyes have seen your salvation. The point I'm trying to make here is singing and praise is a vehicle of joy for the rescued, saved people. And the thing about that is it's only a joyous thing to be saved when you recognise you need saving, isn't it? It's only for those who recognise they need saving. Now, I love the beach. and you, Can you imagine you're down swimming at Marubra Beach, just enjoying, not really today, but a nice sunny day, uh, and then from behind you, someone grabs your head, and then kind of pulls you into the beach, into the sand. Now, how would you be feeling? Like, what, what's going on? You'd be feeling like, come on, this is a bit, I'm just enjoying a nice relaxing swim. But imagine you're swimming in the water and you're drowning. And then this hand from behind you grabs you and drags you into the sand. That changes the way you feel about that saviour, doesn't it? It changes the way you feel about saving been saved see it's no wonder i take it that christians sing joyfully all year round because they know the reality that they need saving but if you're here and you don't think you need saving that your life you've got a, kind of got it covered that it's all sorted i've got it in control no worries here then to hear the news the good news that jesus came in as saviour it's not going to be welcome, glad news. You, you're not going to like it. It's, it's almost offensive, isn't it? It's almost, you're almost going to hate that because it's saying something about you and your state that you actually need saving. Now, Jesus, he didn't come to save us from uh, drowning at Maruba Beach. He actually came to save us from saving from our sin, death and the devil. See, the idea of sin is just thinking and behaving as though I am the most important person in the world. It's, uh, it's, uh, the idea of sin is just ignoring God and living by your ideas, your desires, doing what you want. And Jesus came as Saviour to save you and I from the consequences of living that way, from living with that attitude, from living with that heart disease that just looks out and assumes that you're the most important person in the world. And ultimately, the end of a life lived that way, it ends in death and cut off from God forever. See, Israel, they sing of their saving from the nation in Babylon. How much more reason do we have reason to sing with joy and gusto because God has saved us in Jesus? from our sin and from death and from the devil. See, so it's when you recognise this reality in your heart that you'll want to burst it out. Not just together, but by your, on your own. Uh, Psalm 98 is actually the basis for a song, a carol that we sing. Did everyone know what the song is? Yep. Joy to the world. Uh, so, uh, Isaac Watts, he originally wrote the, as a hymn, not as a carol, in 1719. Now, he was a, an English minister, but he, um, he wrote Joy to the World as a reflection of Psalm 98. And what does it say? Joy to the world because, and to the earth because the Saviour reigns. It's a wonderful reflection on Psalm 98 and I can't wait to sing it together after um, but that's the first reason why we sing, because uh, we sing joyfully, because we've been saved from sin by Jesus. The second reason uh, to sing and make a joyful noise is because God is King. Have a look in uh, in verse 4 there. It says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. See, who are we singing to and before? We, the Lord, the King. Now, our picture, I don't know if you've got a picture of a king, and you've got the picture of King Charles at his coronation, uh, I don't think that helps us. You know, how old was King Charles when he got, was he 80s, 90s? 70s, wasn't he? 70s. But, you know, you've got this picture, like kind of this pomp, ceremonial, you know, guy that can only just hold on to these things. Well, I don't think I could have held on for as long as he did, but, you know, holding on. I think we get... We, when we think king, if that's your picture, I think it makes sense that we think, well, what does that mean? Because, you know, what does he do? What impact does he have on our lives? He, his kingly rule really makes no difference over us uh, and no power or authority but that's not the picture you've got of psalm 98 the picture you've got here who's the king here it's god himself it's it's the one who with words spoke creation into being it's the one who keeps our hearts ticking who keeps the sun revolving around the earth day in day out this king this God is not someone who has no power and authority, but it's the only one who has all power and all authority. He's the one who we ought, everyone and everything, ought to worship and praise. That is why in verse 4, the psalmist's song calls all peoples, doesn't it? All the earth to sing to this King who is God. See, it's not just the saved people who are to join in here, but it's actually all the earth. Everyone, grab your instruments. Get your neighbours. You need to sing this new song of salvation. For, for, For the nation Israel, that meant the powerful enemies needed to join in and hear this song. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, they were called to praise the true King the God of the universe, and joining that song. For us today, it doesn't matter what nationality you are, what religion or culture or where you've, what you've grown up with, what assumptions you have about the world, whether you know, you're a materialist, an atheist, whatever. It doesn't matter whether you're spiritual or Buddhist or Hindu. The psalmist, the psalm is calling you to sing this new song of salvation. It's because the King is the God over all things. Now, when this song was first sung, I don't know whether it would have been that impressive. You know, the nation was only about 40,000, so what, you know, that's sort of the size of mascot and botany. Not a very big, powerful nation. But it did point towards Jesus. It did anticipate when God's rule and reign will be made known and made universal. See, what is interesting, I take it, is that when Jesus turns up on the scene, the words that, we are, that are used to describe him at his birth. In Luke 2, 26, we're told, uh, was Simeon's told by the Spirit that, "...he would not see death before he sees the Lord's Christ." See, there are two words there that I just want us to reflect on for a moment. The first one is Christ. Uh, that's the Greek word uh, for Christos, just it's, it's a pretty much straight across uh, Hebrew word, Messiah. Some Bibles have Messiah, some Bi- Bibles have Christ. Same same word, ones just in Hebrew, ones in Greek, just transliterated across. Uh, that li- means the Anointed One. It's the it's it's the the one uh, who was promised. Now, who did they anoint in the Old Testament with oil? Kings. Kings were the anointed one. They were the rulers. The second word I think we want to have a look at is that word Lord. Uh, The Lord, that word just means boss or master, you know, it means to be in charge. But Lord there, we got lowercase Lord, is the same Greek word, kurios, same Greek word that is used for God in the Old Testament, uh, that same word that we saw in Psalm ninety-eight—you have a look down there. It's, I think it's seven or eight times that we're to praise and worship. It's all in uppercase there. That just—that's sh- to signify that we're talking about Yahweh. Now, uh, Israelites would not say the name of God. They would, uh, in case they accidentally took it in vain, and so they would write Lord. And and curios is the Greek word of that so when Jesus turns up okay I don't know if you're with me Jesus turns up maybe not we'll see sees Jesus is does he say Jesus is the Christ you know the anointed king who is the boss or is he saying he sees Jesus the Christ the king who is God which one which one is it I think he wants us to see that when we see Jesus, we actually are seeing God's true king here. It's actually the king who is God himself, the true king of kings and lord of lords. He's the one with ultimate power and authority and rule to reign over every single person and actually power to rule over even death itself. This one, Jesus, God himself in flesh. This is not the kind of person that you can kind of choose whether or not to listen to or obey. You know, you kind of can't pick which parts of him you like or you'll listen to. You know, it's not like, oh, I'm 90% in favour or maybe 80 or 50%. That's not really an option for this person. But the very nature of who he is demands our loyalty and worship but it's this very one, this God-King who has the power and authority who actually deals with our enemy of death. You know, we run uh, a course here called Life and and part of that course, we ask the question, what is the problem with the world? Um, This year we had 60 different people. I've been running something similar for a long time, go through it, Uh, and... You can imagine the kind of answers you'd get. Do you want to call some out? Have a crack? What's wrong? What's the problem with the world? War? Greed? I heard something. Sin. Well, the Christians get that one, yeah. But if you're not a Christian, you know, there's other ones. Um, famine, selfishness, greed, inequality, oppression. They're your typical answers we get every time. You know, there's one answer I've never had. I've been doing this for a long time. You know what they've never said? Death. What's the problem with the world? It's that we all die. It's interesting, isn't it? Why has that not come up? Surely that's a massive problem every one of us is facing. There's a reality of our own, that's, that's happening. Sure, we can make improvements, we can share resources, but have we, can we solve the problem of death? You know, the Bible says death is ultimately not just a natural medical problem, but actually it's an unnatural spiritual problem. And that's because all of us have been cut off from our source of life from God all of us have rebelled and pushed him away and we've lived with that attitude that we're all in, that we're the boss and the consequence to that attitude is that all of us die but you know what the amazing news as Jesus comes into the world as God as king as the one with ultimate power and authority to do something well he deals with the consequence of death See, what, how does he deal with it? Well, Jesus, he dies our death in our place. He absorbs the consequences of our rebellion so that you and I can be free from it. And all those who are saved, who recognise their sin and their upcoming death, who trust and follow Jesus, they need not fear death because Jesus has saved us from the consequences of death and that is life forever without him. It's an amazing reality, isn't it? Every Christmas that so many of us miss as we sing the carol, Joy to the World. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Who's the king for? Isaac Watts captures it. Every heart has to prepare him room. We miss it. It's right there, right in front of us. But What a great, joyous news to know that Jesus the King has won and has overpowered sin and death. The last and final thing for us is, and you know, Psalm 98 kind of takes a little twist in the end, doesn't it? Because it's not just the saved people of Israel, it's all the earth will to sing, but at the end it's, Creation is to sing to God. Have a look in uh, verse 7 there. Let the sea roar and all that feels in it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together. See, it's like creation is providing the, the musical rhythm, the accompaniment of all the people's singing. The, the ocean is roaring the waves, not just the the ocean, but the the whales and the sharks and the seaweed. The rivers are clapping their hands and the hills are joining in on this praise, in this new song. There is no one, there is no quiet mouth, there is no still mountain. All of creation is caught up in singing this new song of singing to God. And why? Why? Why is creation singing? Verse 9. Before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Do I need to read that one again? Why all creation joining in on this song? They're singing about God judging the earth with righteousness and with people fairly. It's there. You can read it again. I'm, I'm certain that's what it said because I had to read it twice too. When was the last time we sung joyfully together about judgment? Can you think of a song that sings joyfully and rejoices in God's judgment? You can call it out if you did. Pun. Psalm 96, do we sing that? Okay, we're behind you at St. Matt's. We'll have, to, we'll have to level up. Oh, Holy Night? Yeah. There's a few, isn't there? But our diet, wow, I feel like we've missed something that the psalmist wants to, to capture. Why is it that they can sing joyfully about judgment? Well, I imagine if you're in exile... You've been persecuted uh, or you've been persecuted for your faith i imagine you will cling to the hope that god will judge you will cling to the hope that justice will be upheld it is the the martyrs in revelation whose voice cry out for god to judge don't they it's their voice see if god did not judge the world it would just show that he didn't care If he were to see all the injustice that we know and experience and we can see from afar off and not move to action, it would show him to be not loving but cold and indifferent. It is loving for God to say he's going to come back and judge the world. And can I say, I'm glad who sits on the judgment seat. I'm glad that it's not government or, you know, whatever it is, but it's someone who knows and sees, is not corrupt, is not self-serving, but someone who is righteous and holy and pure. God has been showing his judgments in history, hasn't he, to the nation of Israel. At the other end of every song of salvation, there was the flood of Noah, there was the exodus, the exile, and we have these songs of salvation because there is judgment. But I think supremely we see his judgment in the coming of Jesus. We see his judgment on the world because he sent his one and only son to take on the sin of you and I. The sin he bore the wrath of the Father. And we know that Jesus, he's appointed to judge. We know that he's not going to abuse his power. Because when he first came, what happened? How did he respond to those who were opposed to him? When they crucified him, what does he call out? He calls out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he cries, Forgive them. Forgive them. This, for they know not what they're doing. What greater example of someone who shows steadfast love to those who are opposed to them? What greater hope that we have that Jesus, he will know and judge right. When he comes back, his judgment will expose everyone's hearts and lives and thoughts. And friends, that's why as Christians, we can sing joyfully because we're able to be honest. We're able to know that, yeah, we're messed up in our own lives. We see the impact on those around us. We know that we live for ourselves as king, but we want to live with God as king. We know that Jesus has the one that's came to save us from ourselves, to save us from our sin and death and the consequences. We're the ones that have the judgment now. He says to you and I, all laid on Jesus, the consequences. That's why we can sing joyfully at Christmas because we get the meaning of joy to the world. We get the the heart of God to give us joy unending. But friends, if you're here and you think you don't need a saviour, if you think you don't want anyone else to be your king, then that too on that final day will be exposed by God's judgement that heart and way of life, and you will be found wanting. See the heart of Christmas and why there's a joy that doesn't fade. Friends, it's true that Christmas does bring deep joy and it does cause us to sing with gladness and awe. We can fix our eyes on Jesus, grateful in joyful praise, and we can sing together and to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvellous things. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful that you wrote these words of Psalm 98, many years before even Simeon saw Jesus and and saw that his eyes had seen your salvation. Father, we thank you so much for sending Jesus at Christmas to die the death we deserve, and to rise to life that we might have life in him. And Father, we pray that you would help us respond with joy, that many would join in us as your saved people, singing and praising you and your steadfast love, and and upholding and gladly living with Jesus as our Saviour, King and Judge. Father, may this not be another Christmas that passes by that has no impact on us but that your spirit would bear it on our hearts and our souls, that we would praise and delight in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.